I understood right from the moment that I was, you know, swearing in and, you know, saying my oath that, all right, I'm now serving a, a greater purpose and I'm serving citizens who mm-hmm. they are going to be calling me on their worst days or maybe even their best days. I don't know. Like, you never know how you're going to run into somebody. Um, you never know if you're going to just, you know, see them on the side of the road and they might have a flat tire. I'm like, hey, I'm going to block traffic for you. Let me know if you need anything. Going to, uh, you know, the death of a child or something like that. And my job there is to collect the information about the child. And then the rest of the time, I'm consoling or just being there so that way mom can just cry you know like in an ignorance is bliss type of situation makes me happy because I know I did my job if that makes sense thank you for tuning in to this episode of the on call empath I'm your host Raj Mantaj you know this bonus episode is something that I do once in a while um, when I feel like the, a powerful message has to be sent out to the world. With so much going on, you know, everyone's pointing fingers at everything. With all the things in this pandemic, we can't really label people in groups, um, you know, without hearing their side of the story. Um, especially with police officers. Um, There's good and bad in every profession, and I just wanted to point out that this guest is going to set the record straight and, uh, you know, come from a genuine place and tell the world exactly what they go through on a daily basis. And you're going to find out, you know, at the end of the day, we all are, you know, very much the same. We have emotions and feelings, and uh, hopefully you could take that away from this episode. Um, So with that said, guys, I hope you enjoy this bonus episode. Let's go ahead and get started. Hey, today my guest is Devin, a 25-year-old police officer from Wisconsin, former EMT dispatcher, seven years in public service, and has a Navy family background. This is going to be a a, a very exciting episode. Uh, I've been looking for someone uh, to particularly come on this uh, bonus episode to kind of, you know, set the record straight, share their trauma stories, and, you know, just tell it like it is. And uh, one thing you're going to find out, she's very genuine. And I'm so glad, um, you know, I came across her uh, Instagram profile. Uh, she does have a dog named Jack. Isn't that right? Yes, I do. That's a little love of my life right there. <laughs> now take that is a Jack Russell, right? So he's like a Russell Terrier mix. He's a little too tall to be like your standard Jack Russell. But um, most people assume he's like that. And I'm just like, ah, he's probably got that in there. But that is really cool. So with that said, um, thanks so much for, you know, coming on my podcast. I know we've been uh, exchanging, you know, um, messages on Instagram and you're so popular. I was like, man, I don't think she's going to respond. But you did. And I was just like blown away. I was like, wow, this is a real person. She's actually genuine. She's an actual person on her Instagram profile, uh, which is hard to find these days. So with that said, if you can kind of walk us through, you know, um, you know, how long you've been a police officer and, you know, what's that like and what does that look like for you? 
So I have been a sworn officer since last August. So I'm pretty new to the law enforcement realm of things when it comes to public service. But in the terms of public service, um, I've actually got a couple of years under my belt, which puts me at quite the advantage because I know how things are supposed to go. Right. So um, that definitely helps me out. Um, Typical day, though, I mean, you start off with roll call, you get your assignment, um, you figure out, you know, which area or beat you're going to be patrolling. Um, you'll find out if you've got like a, another officer in that beat with you, cause some areas can be busier than others. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, you know, go and grab our cars, do our squad checks, um, go ahead and patrol around, maybe go and stop at the gas station, grab a water bottle or a snack. And then <laughs> you wait for the calls to come out, you pull some traffic. It all kind of depends on the day too, um, with, what roll call, you know, what your sergeant is saying, like, oh, you're gonna have a traffic assignment, stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I mean each day's each day is different though. Yeah. So so forgive me for probably asking you uh you know questions that you probably get on a daily basis. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people are wondering, you know, uh what's it like being a female police officer? You know, do people treat you differently? Is there obviously gender discrimination? What types of things have you come across being on the force? And if you can share that with our audience, I'd uh, appreciate that. So being a female officer has its pros and cons for sure. Um, one of the cons, I'm I'm not extremely large. So the whole like showing up on scene and being that macho male officer that you think of like in movies, I don't have that type of uh presence on scene but I do have the opportunity where if I'm you know on a call or something like that usually people will actually take the time and listen um Mm -hmm. to what I have to say and I don't know if it's maybe they think that I have like that type of uh motherly or type of (laughs) guidance type of perspective or something like that um women definitely gravitate towards me or I can have (laughs) the exact polar opposite with them if they like me or don't like me um Mm -hmm. But I mean, that that can happen with any officer. I don't necessarily think that's because I'm female, but um, I definitely have a better response, I think, with people listening to um, to reason for me because they don't always want to listen to the big macho guy, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. But at the same time, it's really nice when I have awesome coworkers. So my coworkers will be, you know, I've got, you know, one one of my uh, coworkers, he's like six four and he can just you know talk pretty much anybody down and he's you know he's very fit very athletic and everything like that and you're just like oh he's like actually going to take the time to listen too instead of just be like okay well you're going to jail for this this and that like instead of you know he'll work through the situation too so I've got a really good environment for that so when somebody let's say gets arrested um do you try to you know make sure that the gender uh is the same as the person that's being arrested. Like if it's a female um, and she maybe asks for only a female, um, is that something that, uh, that is common when you arrest someone? So in that term, uh, basically for my department's policy is any officer can search anybody, um, you know, with obviously the right um, factors in play, like if they're being detained, like we can pat down for weapons. If they're being arrested, obviously everything gets searched. So a a male officer can search a female, a male can search a male, a female can search a male. Um, But if, if the preference is there and a female is available, a female will do the search on a female and a male will do a search on a male. So 
Um, in so it my, really doesn't matter. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter. But at the same time, I still do get asked um, mm-hmm. if I'm in the area. So, I mean, there's times when they're like, hey, Devin, can you come on over here? Um, we need a female for a search. And I was like, yep, I'm 76, which means like I'm in route. Mm-hmm. And I'll head on over. And most of the time, I'm like, hey, you know, anything that's on you that's going to stick me, poke me, hurt me, anything that you want to tell me about, if I find it, you might get in trouble. Right. I'd rather you tell me about it first. And they're like, oh, I have nothing on me. And I'm just like, okay, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to take your word for it. If you got nothing on you, you know. Right. And then you find like the baggie of, you know, marijuana. And I'm just like, right. come on. <laughs> like, hey, what, what, what did we say? I thought we were starting this off good, you know? Right. So, um, I mean, but like I said, so anybody can search anybody, but I mean, there is the opportunity where they're like, they're almost happy to see me because they might think I'll be like maybe softer with them. And I'm like, no, no, I'm just as tough as my my coworkers. So don't, don't underestimate that factor. That is definitely something I was going to ask you is like, what do you do when someone doesn't take you seriously or even worse, maybe, you know, makes a sexual comment or even like tries to hit on you. Uh, being a female cop, I'm sure you'll get a lot of smart Alex and things like that. How do you stay focused and what is your experience with that? Um, so in, I've had a couple of instances actually where, you know, uh, maybe somebody will hit on me while I'm, you know, doing a traffic stop <laughs> and it won't even be the driver that I pulled over. It could be somebody walking along the street and, you know, they wow. start quoting the little Wayne song like, Oh, Mrs. Officer. <laughs> and I'm just like, Oh, okay. Yeah. You guys are slick. Um, but then I've also had instances where I was on the scene of a shooting and in kind of a, you know, poverty stricken neighborhood. And, um, I show up and, you know, there, there is a African-American male who was outside and he was just like, you know, and I'm the only female on scene. So my, my sergeant was there and probably seven other of my coworkers. And I was the only female there. And he looks at me and he goes, why are you here? And I was just like, this is my job. And he goes, no offense, ma'am, but this is a man's job. And so all of my coworkers were like eyeball me. They're like, Ooh, Devin is about to go off. (laughs) And I, and so I didn't really do any of that though. It was, I, so my immediate rebuttal was just like, okay, so why aren't you doing it? Right. And he had nothing really to say after that. And then, um, maybe like 20 minutes later, we're wrapping up, you know, all the evidence collection and everything like that. And, um, I actually had to help that same man with like trying to get into his vehicle because his trunk was like broken or whatever. So I had to like pop his trunk for him because he was a little under the influence of alcohol. So he was having some problems. I was just like, here, I'm going to take the time and help you because maybe a woman can actually get this done for you or whatever. <laughs> I didn't say that, but in my head, I'm just like, huh, maybe I'm not as incompetent as you think. Right. And, um, we ended up like helping him there and then he goes and he looks at my sergeant and he goes sir I don't mean any offense or anything like that you know and he says the jurisdiction that I work for he goes y'all's police department don't ever never <laughs> let a woman run it and my sergeant he looks at me and he goes hey Devin you want my job and I was just like "Ooh, that sounds nice <laughs> so we kind of like and that was just kind of stuff that like was like as long as we can laugh about it I don't let it get to me because if I did I'd be pretty upset all the time and um you know this person he probably you know was raised in a household where maybe a woman wasn't as equal as the man so but I but I also don't know so that that's just a guess I noticed about you is like the the personality that you have on the show 
matches your social media profile. So, I mean, I just want to let you know that it, it is very hard to find people that are, you know, genuine, like they want to be themselves on social media, but outside of it, they're a totally different person. If I knew you and you pulled me over, would I get a ticket? No, I'm just joking. But <laughs> so <laughs> this next question, uh, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> but this is something that I guess a lot of people wonder is when you are actually writing a ticket um, or you pull somebody over and you write a ticket, um, is that something that you've already predetermined and you're like, okay, this person was speeding, I'm going to write a ticket? Because I've been in positions where uh, I've been pulled over and, um, you know, I've been let off and they're like, just go on your merry way, just slow down. So I was lucky. But uh, in your experience, can you kind of walk us through what uh, what you do and uh, when you get write a ticket? So I've gotten two traffic tickets before uh, when I lived in Illinois for speeding. I've got a little <laughs> bit of a lead foot, and that's probably still a problem I have a little bit. But it depends on the officer in the department. Um, so the department that I work for, we're allowed to give warnings. Um, we're allowed to have more of a discretion when it comes to traffic stops. Um, when we're on certain traffic grants though from like the the federal government um it's more or less like okay that's the point where leniency is not something that we're allowed to do um because we're getting a certain amount of funds from the federal government to have these overtime uh blocks put in so that way people can be like okay maybe we'll have a seatbelt um grant you know, or we'll have an OWI grant and stuff like that. Because, I mean, honestly, OWIs and seatbelt tickets um, are, OWIs are a lot of paperwork and seatbelts, I think, are the easiest thing for people Mm -hmm. to, like, avoid getting stopped in general. Um, That's usually, like, my number one thing if I'm going to stop a vehicle. It's because you're not wearing your seatbelt. Right. But in terms of getting out of a ticket, I start off with, okay, they're having a professional attitude. (laughs) <laughs> they're they're gonna have they're gonna own like okay yep I know exactly why you stopped me I'm you know I'm sorry um, now if it's like speeding in excess of 15 miles per hour yeah you're you're getting that ticket like that that's a huge safety risk you're you know it's almost reckless endangerment right. and everything like that but it really depends on the officer and the department of where you're getting pulled over with um, so I don't really have like a clear answer for you um, I would say right. with me. If it's like, oh, you don't have your insurance like in your vehicle, I'm probably not going to write you a ticket for it if you've got your old one that literally says it expired last week because I know that the bill is recurring and they have to mail it to you or something. But I also (laughs) know that you could get it through your email and I'm totally okay with seeing it by email as well. So it's just, it's kind of like, it's a gray area because every traffic stop is different. And it also depends on, you know, the interaction between officer and driver and everything like that. So I don't have a clear, like, straight yes or no answer, but I mean, I hopefully that kind of sheds a little (laughs) bit of light. Oh, yeah, totally. That uh, definitely answers that, Um, which kind of leads me to ask you, um, I noticed on some of your photos that you are in full gear, which looks pretty heavy and hardcore, but... I wanted to ask you, how much of that do you have autonomy over? Like, are you allowed to carry certain things? And um, do you have to carry a body cam uh, all the time? I know some departments might require you to have all of that equipment. But if you can kind of explain to the audience, like, 
you know, what they are and, and what are some of the things that you, you have to carry at all times? My department um, obviously requires that we wear our vest and we carry our firearm. Uh, the body cameras were put into effect probably like January of this year. Body cameras and mm-hmm. the equipment and all the software that goes with them are extremely expensive, which is kind of a bummer. Mm-hmm. Like you'd think like, oh, they'd want departments to basically have these for free because it like protects everybody involved, like protects right. officers from lawsuits, protects, you know, uh people who are like worried about like a police use of force or something like that because it'll show everything right um but right. yeah they're extremely expensive um so like it's a lot harder for smaller departments to get those but we're um i'm in a very right. fortunate position where my entire time that i've spent on the road i've had a body camera so that's really cool um but w- with everything that i have on my uniform so i've got um i've got my body camera i've got oc spray i've got a taser i've got a baton my radio um my firearm handcuffs handcuff keys stuff like that i even have like a couple knives on me just for um you know miscellaneous use honestly it's such a good multi-tool but yeah i mean (laughs) all together with my gear and my vest um I want to say because i weighed myself because at one point i was curious i was just like i wonder how much all this weighs (laughs) I know you're wearing like a full like bulletproof vest. I'm like, that's got to be 10 pounds. Well, right it's actually lighter than you would think. The vest itself, because um, I have an outer carrier, the vest itself is probably only about five pounds. Um, but I mean, that that's almost like being generous. I, I, I don't even think it weighs that much. But um, I, weigh it, I weighed myself because like with my gun and then the extra ammo and everything like that that I keep on me. I'm about like 25 pounds heavier with all of that gear on in full uniform, like mm. boots and everything. So wow. yeah, kind of crazy to think about that. I'm just like operating with all of this extra weight and I'm just like, oh, okay, right. just going about my normal day. Well, one thing I just want to point out to my listeners that can't actually see Devin, she definitely looks like she can kick some ass. So just a fair warning there. <laughs> uh, I see that you've worked out quite a bit on your Instagram um, and with your busy schedule, I was just wondering how do you find time to work out and how many days? Cause it looks like you're into health, health and fitness as well, right? I try to, as long as, uh, work allows me. So I like to work out after shift. Um, some people mm-hmm. are like, Oh, I could never do that. I'm so tired at the end of work. And I'm like, see, when I get off work, I am wired. And I'm like, this is how <laughs> I decompress. And it's like, okay, right. I'm going to make myself tired now. I'm really going to like burn right. the midnight oil, so to speak. And, um, you know, I, I put my music on, I, uh, you know, and I start my, I warm up and everything like that. And then I start lifting weights. Um, depending on like, if I get held over for like overtime or anything like that, that can kind of change into it. But I try to get Mm -hmm. at least three to four times a week at minimum, um, five days a week. I'm just like, Oh, this is a really good week. Like I got them all in. (laughs) This is great. Um, but I mean, I I don't like to be too hard on myself for it either because then I'm just like, it it doesn't need to be a stressor because it's the way I de-stress if that makes sense. Right. So I want to switch some gears here. I know that um, you had told me um, that, you know, when you were growing up, I mean, there was some traumatic experiences that you went through, um, especially with uh, somebody like a parent who has been deployed. And like your father, you mentioned that uh, you hadn't seen him nine months at a time. It definitely must have been hard and um, stuff like that. 
definitely plays a role um, in anyone's life growing up, and it can be definitely hard. So my question to you is, um, how did you cope and um, deal with that, especially now that you're on the force? Um, Does that affect you in any way today? So for me, my immediate family is very important to me. Um, Having my dad be in the Navy was um, something that definitely made me thankful for when we all had time together. So nine months was his longest deployment. And I was probably around the age of eight to 10 around in there. Um, And I'm the oldest of three girls. So my dad is a blessed man with three daughters. Um, But for me, um, (laughs) my mom is definitely somebody I'm very close to. I, I tell her all the time that she's one of my best friends. And she's like, oh, you don't mean that. And I'm like, no, no, I I mean that. My mom's my best friend. Like I'll call her when I get home from work if I've had a bad day. And, um, but growing Mm -hmm. up, you know, my mom is, was, and is a very strong woman. My my parents are both married and still alive. So I, you know, they're literally just like the pinnacle of, you know, this is how I want to grow up because I, I see my mom and dad as like my heroes. So my mom was able to raise three girls in Japan overseas with her husband being gone for months at a time and to me I'm just like holy cow like that's a lot like some people are like oh my gosh one kid's a lot and but my mom had three girls (laughs) and um I'm two years older than my sister Elise and then I'm six years older than my sister Kylie so there's a there's a good age gap between us and um I mean Elise and I are kind of like Irish twins but for me right. to kind of cope with like when my dad was gone and everything like that. Cause you know, people say, Oh, family comes first, but when you're in the military, the military comes first mm-hmm. and then family's second. So the fact that we were able to go overseas um, and be on base with him and live there was huge because some people choose not to live overseas and they just stay in the States. So it would have been six years. I would have gone if we hadn't moved um, that what I would have gone without seeing him. But Probably the easiest thing that um, helped me, like, get through, I think, my childhood was that um, my mom really, like, just encouraged us girls to have fun. She would never, like, really restrict us on what we wanted to do. Um, You know, I was very, like, very much a tomboyish kid growing up. And I think that Mm -hmm. helped a lot. Just she let me play outside, like, you know, but I also still like played with Barbies and stuff. So, I mean, it was very balanced. She get, I, I, you went from playing Barbies to, uh, yeah, I know. It seems kind of funny. Right. But (laughs) I mean, she, she and my dad really put, um, my sisters and I in probably one of the best situations possible. I mean, she, my parents exposed us to a culture that I still love and adore. And I'd love to go back as an adult, to appreciate it even more. But, um, I mean, to really cope with all of that, I guess it, it might sound weird, but like, because it was the norm for me, then it wasn't really something that I would be too upset about. Like, I remember I'd have days where I'd be like, Oh, I miss dad and everything like that. And I'd be upset and cry, but I always knew that he'd be coming home. Like to me as a child, my mom didn't let me have that worry that he wouldn't be coming home if that makes sense. So like when mom is over here, like being the protector of three daughters, I'm just like, it blows my mind because I'm just like, holy cow, you know, she went from, all right, we're moving my family across, you know, the Pacific ocean and uh, doing all this. So, I mean, my mom and dad are definitely my rocks and they are, they, they definitely made me strong and helped me become who I am today. 
So one thing I do want to point out, and this is to the listeners out there, the empaths, highly sensitive people. I mean, as you could tell, Devin, uh, she's a genuine person, despite all the things that she had faced growing up and the things that she sees on a daily basis. She still remains focused. You don't see like her putting hate on anybody. Uh, and that's one thing um, that's hard to come by um, in today, especially when you're in a position of authority, being able to control like your, your feelings, your emotions. I mean, you're human. We all have feelings. So I just want to point that out that, you know, it is not easy to separate the two for, for many people. But uh, especially when you're growing up, um, a lot of that stuff we take into adulthood. Um, and one of the things on this podcast, uh, you know, we have a lot of trauma victims and people that have uh, carried a lot of pain from childhood. And it does affect their job. It does affect, you know, how um, they deal with other people. So I just wanted to throw that out there that uh, it is definitely uh, doable, as you can see from Devin. She's able to uh, do her job and separate the two, which is, is very um very challenging for many people. I believe that you've also witnessed some child suicide, dead on arrivals, all kinds of stuff. So uh, definitely not easy. Now, you went to college and uh, were at EMT at the same time, correct? Um, I, when I, I, wor- I worked full-time as an EMT while going to college full-time. So I went to Western Illinois, mm-hmm. Illinois University Um, I got a bachelor's in emergency management with a minor in law enforcement and justice administration. And the entire time that I was getting my degree, I was working um, probably 40 to 60 hours a week working like the night shift. So and it'd it'd be Mm -hmm. 12-hour shifts. And I would either, I worked between um, a hospital-based emergency medical system. And then I also worked at a volunteer um, campus-based EMS system. So I worked mm-hmm. county and on, you know, uh, WIU's campus. So I got to see, right. you know, everybody from like, okay, my mom's not here. I'm calling 911 because I have a fever <laughs> and I don't know what to do. And I'm like, okay, this is what you do. Um, go check in with your right. primary care physician tomorrow. You're going to be okay. <laughs> it Versus, um, you know, grown men having chest pain and their wife is in, you know, Peoria out to dinner with girls. And he's just like, I don't know what to do. The chest pain has been for like (laughs) three hours now. And I'm like, okay, well, we're going to take care of you. We're going to bring you to the ER. The doctor's going to look at you and you might get, you know, life lighted to Peoria for, um, you know, MI uh, protocol and stuff like that. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I've seen a pretty broad range of things. And then, now to, I, I had a short stint as a dispatcher um, between EMS and law enforcement because I, I didn't really expect the law enforcement track to start as quickly as it did, but I'm also thankful for it. So um, mm-hmm. I dispatched for a little bit. And then um, as a law enforcement officer too, my coworkers are very appreciative of the fact that I have some EMS experience under my belt because mm-hmm. I might get there the same time as they do and fire um, an EMS for our fire department. They have a protocol where they put on, you know, their ballistic vests there. They have helmets Mm -hmm. and everything like that. So they don't always have that on them though. I always have my gear on me. Mm -hmm. So I'm always going to have a tourniquet. Um, I'm in the process of building like my own little um, medical first aid kit to keep like in my pocket basically. So that way I'll have like a chest seal and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. But 
I have that experience where they're like, okay, Devin's with us. Like, if anything were to happen, she could come and help us out. Right. Yeah. But she, she can help also, us she's out. also strong right. enough that she can drag me if she needs to. So, <laughs> right. But, um, right. Yeah. So, definitely, I, I've seen a lot of different things. Um, I mean, to from the DOAs and stuff like that. I mean, I've seen people who were like, oh, I'm starting my first cancer treatment tomorrow. And I've got to go drive up to DeKalb. And um, I guess basically I, this was probably, this was my first DOA too as an ENT. I was about 19 years old and um, she had pancreatic cancer. Um, she was probably in her sixties and pancreatic cancer is a really, um, really sad because most of the time they catch it pretty late because um, it kind of hides itself in uh basically doesn't present all the symptoms at the same time. So it's really hard to like put the nail, you know, just hit it on the head to figure out what it is. So um, her husband, I remember was looking at me and she goes, he goes, you know, we were supposed to go, you know, to DeKalb because she was going to start her, her cancer treatment tomorrow. And literally that, that morning before they uh, were supposed to go, she, you know, had her coat on and everything like that. And she just, she just dropped. And, um, it was because like it was too much stress for her heart, I think, and she got too warm, and basically, you know, she she died right there. So, but she wasn't in any pain, so that was something that was like put him at ease. But it, it that, that kind of stuff is still kind of tough when you see the family members going yeah. through it because you're like you you feel for them. Definitely not an easy job, um, you know, especially seeing uh, someone. Uh, dying or uh getting shot you know even if you have a crazy day you're trying to chase people i actually had a police officer named justin everton um on my show a couple episodes ago you know he was hanging out of a suspect's vehicle and he was dragged down you know the road and you know it was a white car so yeah he he even said like he had some ptsd kind of temporary for the next couple traffic shops uh when he saw a white vehicle when he pulled over so these things are actually ingrained and um you know hopefully you know some people get over it and some don't um but in your case i want to kind of focus on like let's say you go through a day where it's crazy and um you go through something where you're wrestling down somebody or you just, you know, you're shooting at someone or anything like that could possibly give you some PTSD. How do you calm yourself down? Like that's like your nervous system is all on whack and your adrenaline is going. How do you calm yourself down, take it, take a deep breath, you know, just kind of de-stress? What are some things that you do that you can share with us? There's a couple of things that I do. Um, probably the one that's easiest for everybody is I have a extreme love for music. So if it's um, finding music that really like resonates with me at the time, uh, you know, I, if I don't have music playing in my home and it's dead silent, usually that means like I'm really upset about something. So having music really helps me <laughs> to kind of like decompress and just, it puts me like in a happier state of mind. Um, I mean, I even mm-hmm. have like, this is probably like really cheesy, but everybody kind of has like songs and stuff that bring them back to like an innocent time in their life. So for me, like mm-hmm. Disney music does that for me. So if I have like a really <laughs> awful day, I'm like, okay, we're going to listen to some Disney tunes. Wow. Like this is going to be the best. Wow. And it kind of just, but I kind of have to force myself to do that if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. So I would say right. music, depending on what type of music you like, as long as it kind of, 
it, it, it kind of does the same thing of like, if you smile and that you are forced to smile, it makes you happier. Have you guys heard, have you heard of that? Like, um, I, it's no. like, I, I can't even like tell you like what it's actually supposed <laughs> to do, but it's like, it's forcing the happiness and like you see happiness and you're putting, you're forcing yourself into it. You'll actually start to feel it. Right. Um, so that's the way kind of right. music does for me. Um, and then the simplest one too, which might not be so simple for everybody is, um, I talk it out. So like I said earlier, right. my mom is my rock. She's my best friend. Um, she's one of those people that, um, I can tell her anything, but I also protect her from some of the stories that I have at work. Cause I don't want her distress. So, mm-hmm. um, but I talk to her and I talk to my boyfriend. Um, they are, right. you know, Josh, he, um, was an officer, uh, but he had the chance to do mm-hmm. a job where he was going to be, um, compensated more and he actually really enjoyed it. And he got a Monday through Friday gig. So mm-hmm. he loves that, but he also mm-hmm. knows like what my job is because he worked it for five years. So I'm in a very wow. lucky position because he totally understands what I'm going through day in and day out. So I'm very right. blessed with that. But um, my best advice, mm-hmm. I mean, for like decompressing with stuff like that is you have to find somebody that you trust that can take the weight of what you're saying, not necessarily off of you, but share it. Because if you can't talk it out and just get it out of your mind and speak it into the universe type of way, you're going to hold on to it. Um, I mean, so, uh, I brought up, um, earlier though, the, that, I had an 11 year old boy who had committed suicide by hanging. That one was really tough for me. Cause at the time I was like, wow. why, why would an 11 year old even have this thought in his head? Right. And cause to me, I'm just like, um, I, I, that, that, that is a true form of innocence as a child or like an animal because they don't mm-hmm. have ill will, you know, they haven't been exposed to the evil things in this world yet. And it's just like, be innocent as long as you can. Like, that's what I want for kids. And I just remember I, um, I saw his, his gray face and his gray body and I had, I had known that oh. he was already gone and the mom and dad were really upset. And, um, he seemed to have had like a super loving home. Like there's pictures of his drawings all over the kitchen and they had pictures of his school photos up in the living room. And, um, I mean, he had his own cell phone. He had an Xbox with like every game, like an 11 year old boy could want. And I just like, I couldn't wrap my head around it. And what it did for me for really to kind of like move forward from it was I had to realize, okay, my capacity is not that I have to understand it, but I do have to accept it because I can't change it. So for me, mm-hmm. um, I was like, okay, I'm going to give my opportunity to myself to be upset about it, but I'm not going to dwell on this because if I dwell, I mean, what, mm-hmm. what good does it do? Because I mean, what if I can right. go and help the next kid that's maybe thinking like this? Um, right. So for me, it was talking it out and having the mental strength to realize, okay, my job is I can't save and help everybody. And that's something that I had to kind of come to accept and that this one kind of really, you know, shined the light in my face to say like, yep, we definitely can't save everybody. Um, 
doesn't make it any less awful or horrible, but at the same time, you're just like, okay, this is, right. it's okay. Everybody will move forward from this. One thing I do want to tell you, and this goes for all the listeners out there, um, whether you're a police officer, a doctor, lawyer, or just somebody uh, working a stressful job, imagine how tough it is where you know, you're dealing with constant stress and you're supposed to like keep your cool and you know just do what you believe in and and just focus on your job that has to be a special person to do that type of work i mean um i know especially with the police officers the, the ones that i've uh, come across and the ones that i've known and i have it on the show um you know they're they're people that actually take pride in what they do they're actually people that care about their job um, and they want to give back to their communities. So, um, and I just want to point that out. And the reason I wanted to do this uh, bonus episode is to break that stigma. We can't just label a group of people just because uh, one person had a bad day and they took it out on somebody. Um, as you can tell from Devin uh, and a lot of other people that I know, that uh, they take pride in what they do. And uh, this is a good example of it. So, with that said, Devin, can you kind of explain i know it's going to be tough but how are you able to put your emotions aside and just keep doing your job i guess to try to try and illustrate what you're asking me and to put into words um for me yeah. to to put my emotions aside i understood right from the moment that i was you know swearing in and you know saying my oath that all right i'm now serving a, a greater purpose and I'm serving citizens who mm -hmm. they're going to be calling me on their worst days or maybe even their best days. I don't know. Like you never know how you're going to run into somebody. Um, you never know if you're going to just, mm -hmm. you know, see them on the side of the road and they might have a flat tire. I'm like, Hey, I'm going to block traffic for you. Let me know if you need anything. Um, or right. if I'm going to, uh, you know, the death of a child or something like that. And, my job there is to collect the information about the child and then the rest of the time I'm consoling or just being there so that way mom can just cry. You know, it, I'm, I'm doing whatever is needed yeah. of me at that point in time. Um, and right. I guess the way that I put my emotions aside for that is um, just understanding that now is my time to be the... Uh, what, what's the word? Um, shielding the impact from others, I guess, is what I would I would like to call mm. it because um, I don't want people to have to experience all the stuff that I do because I I know I've got right. that kind of mental toughness because I would rather take it for I would rather take it than have a child or you know my mom or family members or, you know, somebody else in the community, if they don't have to experience it and I can, and they can, you know, maybe just silently appreciate it. Or be, I get, I think that sounds wrong because to say that I want to do it for appreciation is wrong. Cause that's not what I joined for. I'd say it's more or less right. like You're, if they yeah. can go on through their lives and be happy and not have that experience at all, and just be kind of like in an ignorance is bliss mm -hmm. type of situation that makes me happy because right. I know I did my job. If that makes sense. 
I'm glad you were able to share that because that just shows that, you know, you're human just like everyone else. And I'll be honest, I I wasn't the biggest fan growing up, um, especially with police officers, because I had um, some problems when I was, you know, 18, 19, 20. You know, I was going through a lot. And, you know, as the years went by, um, you know, I started changing because I started to look at people for who they are and what they believe in. And, uh, you know, you can't put people in one, one category. You got to take people for what they are and, um, what they believe in. Cause not every person's the same. One person might have a different mindset or values from another person. So with that said, um, before we take off here, I do want to give you the final word. If you could just leave us with something, um, that you'd like to clear up, maybe a misconception or just something that uh, you feel that's very important that you'd like to share. Uh, I'll leave that to you. Um, to take the media with a grain of salt and maybe take the chance to actually do like, you know, coffee with a cop or even do a ride along if your department uh, in your area allows that and just kind of see mm-hmm. what we do every day. Because a lot of people might not um, actually mm-hmm. understand and know about all of the different um, aspects of my job because I do a lot, but at the same time, I love every bit of it. So for somebody to maybe see the yes. part of the job that I love and maybe the not so glamorous parts and maybe just be like, oh, I didn't realize all of this was encompassed under just the title of patrol officer. So maybe just to yeah. have people either reach out to officers or see if you can do a ride along. I, I would say that's my best piece of advice. If anybody has any questions about anything ever, mm-hmm. it's just talk to us. I think that's very well said. Um, I want to thank you so much for being on this show. Um, I've learned a lot myself. I hope people that are listening out there got some value out of it um, and we can break the stigma and not just only for, you know, law enforcement, but for anybody um, that, you know, is trying their best and and having, you know, has good values in life, um, you know, take them for for who they are and not not what other people are painting. And um, you'll see that there's always some good behind there. Can you um, please leave our listeners with your Instagram and your social media site, if you don't mind? My Instagram handle is Devin underscore E-I-R-A-M-C. So it's uh, just Marie backwards with a C. Um, that's how you can find me on Instagram or uh, hashtag Officer Devin. I might pop up there too. So and there you have it, guys. Um, and yes, Devin is a real person. Um, she's exactly the way um, I thought she would be on the podcast as she is on her social media. So again, thank you so much. You're always welcome back. And I hope uh, the listeners got something valuable out of this. If you can share this episode with anybody, uh, it would definitely help me out. And also, if you can go to Apple iTunes and leave me a, a you know, it's a review just to let me know how I'm doing. It really helps out the channel and, um, and the podcast. So thanks so much. And with that said, we are out. You're listening to the On Call Impact.